Our scripture reading for this morning, two passages, both in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, turn there in your Bibles and also uh, keep a place, a mark for Psalm 127. Psalm 127. If you don't have Bibles of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand, they'll bring one right to you that you can use throughout our service this morning. Others who need a Bible, raise your hand. Psalm 127, and we'll start off with Genesis chapter 6. Do the reading of God's Word this morning, then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we will get into the message, the special message today for Father's Day. After that message, we'll have our choir come and... Uh, do a last song before we close in prayer at the end of our service. So let's all stand now in respect to the reading of God's Word. I'd like you to follow along with me as I read Genesis 6, verse 5 through 14, and Psalm 127, 1 through 5. Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Chosen these two passages that go along with the message this morning to focus on fathers on this Father's Day. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll have the preaching of God's word. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come today. We thank you for this time to recognize and honor fathers. We thank you for those fathers um, that have been a part of our lives. 
whether we've had fathers in the flesh, fathers in the household who took that responsibility to care, to teach, and to um, show us the way, or whether those men acted as fathers around us in our families and in our church. We thank you, Lord, for being the perfect father and giving the example so that we could take on the responsibility you've given us to care for, to teach, and to raise our children. I thank you for fathers here today, and I thank you for the faithfulness that you've put in the hearts of these men to, to carry out that responsibility. I pray, Lord, that you keep them faithful, you keep them longing for you, so that they would be living the example before uh, their children. We thank you for fathers, for grandfathers. We thank you for men who act in a fatherly way in the lives of others, even if they have no children of their own, that you have given them that fatherhood in that way. And we thank you for that. We pray for our people here, Lord. We are mindful of Sister Minnie Kathy and her condition uh, that's gone worse. We just pray for her, Lord, in her last days that you would be with her, that you would reassure her of your love for her and that she belongs to you. And Lord, that you would just um, allow her to be that testimony to her family um, during this time, that they might see her faith and come to know you as well. And we pray for many others, Lord, who uh, are just in need of, of your strength and, and your portion to, to help them along the way. We pray that for each other. We pray that you just help and remind us to care for one another and to extend that love that you have for us to each other. Bless this service now, the teaching and preaching of your word, and all that we do might be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I've chosen to speak today on Father's Day and to look at several things in Genesis that impact us as fathers. Impact is probably a soft word because what I see in Genesis is Satan's outright attack on God's creation. God created, and ever since then, Satan has been trying to mess things up as much as he can. But we are reminded of the truth in our study of Job that none of God's plans or purposes are thwarted. He accomplishes all that he uh, wants to do, and we're thankful for that. But we do need to be mindful of Satan's attempts and his attacks. And his attacks on the family, his attacks on God's creation. But if you look at God's creation, if you remember those six days that God created, we see kind of a pyramid. We see him creating those things. And on this, the last day, he crowns his creation and he creates man. He creates human beings. And he says that they are made in my image. He says that of no other creation, no animal, no plant, nothing else is created in the image of God the way that human beings are. 
and he sets up a culture and a society. It's purposeful that he starts creation with a man and a woman and he joins them together in a special relationship and he allows them to have children and a family that will populate the entire earth. And he tells them, now go and have dominion over my creation. So we see God's purpose. We need, need to be uh, we need to be clear and understand what his purpose was and how he did that, and also then how Satan tries to thwart God's purpose. And so we see that right away. Genesis 1 and 2, we see the account of God's creation, and immediately in chapter 3, let's go there. First three words of chapter 3, now the serpent. That's significant. After God's creation, he saw all they had done. He says, it's good. It's very good. And now Satan tries to disrupt all that God has done. And we need to be aware of that. So today on, on Father's Day, I'd like to remind you and make you aware of what Satan is doing to thwart God's purpose, and if we're mindful of that, we can work with God to combat the challenges to God's purpose that come from Satan. So I want to point out several things that become obvious in Genesis if we look at the, uh, Satan's attack on the family. We look at the family, we notice that God had set Adam in charge of that family. At that time, the family existed, uh, consisted of Adam and Eve. And so I call the first attack by Satan is Adam versus Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, after Adam sinned by eating of the fruit that was given to him by his wife Eve. She ate, he ate, they both ate, and they both sinned against God. And it says in verse 16, God confronts them. He says this, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. There's going to be a conflict in the home. And there's a debate and a, and, and a challenge to leadership. Now, God had an order before this happened. And what happens now is there's going to be conflict over that order. Some think that the order that God has placed was because of sin. No, it was set there originally, and now because of sin, that order is challenged. And so it's Satan who manipulates and brings chaos into this relationship, and he says, I'm going to be, bring conflict into it. And God is simply announcing what the effect of their sin is. 
and of Satan's approach in that relationship. He says this, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. He's saying that there's, there's a battle for who has the leadership in the home. But let's continue reading. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, I'm tempted to stop right there. <laughs> but, you know, that wouldn't do justice to the word of God. We need to keep it. In, ladies, we need to keep this in context, don't we? <laughs> Not just ladies, but all of us. See, if you pause too long right there, you, uh, you might highlight something else. But he says this, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. The problem wasn't listening to her, period. The problem was you listened to her and violated what God said. This is a case where she brought in something that was against God's purpose and his will and his explicit command. And clearly, he should not have gone, gone along with that. Not because she said it, but because God said it. God said, I commanded you, Adam. You heard it right from my mouth. Read that again. Adam, to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. And all of this happens. Cursed is the ground because of you. And he goes on to list those things. The biggest challenge a man must face is the rule of the mastering of his home. The rule or the mastering of his home. Now some want to read into that and they like to play with the word rule as if he should dominate and be domineering in his home, but that's not what it's saying at all. In fact, we'll get to chapter 4 of Genesis in just a moment. Well, let's jump there now. Um, without getting into details, I, wanna, I want you to look at how this word is used again when God deals with Cain. Chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will, will you not be accepted? And if you do if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now, here it is. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He uses almost the same phrase. Sin's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He says to Cain, you have, you have submitted yourself to Satan's desire, and now sin is, in, in essence, waiting for you. It's crouching at the door. It can pounce on you. And it says its desire is contrary to you. It's a battle against you. It's, it now has, has become your enemy, in a sense. It's contrary to God's purpose for you, and it's a conflict you're going to have. It's a battle you have. That's why I say when people say, I, I don't battle with sin, that means you lost already. <laughs> Cain had a battle. He says, it's, it's, it's desire is contrary to you. And then he says this, you must rule over it. You must master it. You must not allow it to direct you, but you must in right ways manage and master it in your life. 
That's the challenges. So going back to chapter 3, we're saying that the rule in the home is the battle that Adam was to have, and he needed to master living the way and leading the way that God wanted him to lead in his home. He needed to master that. Not talking about coming down with an iron fist on his wife. He's talking about guiding and directing and leading his home the way God would be pleased with it. Give you an example. This, this point is so important. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, God says, as he, as he identifies the call of, of a pastor, the call of an elder, these are the qualifications, one of the most important qualifications. If you can go with me, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Keep a marker in Genesis. We'll come back to that. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 and verse 5. He says this, He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church. He's saying this is an important issue. It's not just for pastors, but it's so important in a home that a pastor, as God's example, must master it. They're saying, men, this is a battle. This is one of the battles that we have in our, uh, in, that Satan comes to us, that brings to us, to keep us away from God's purpose. Now, some men have run away from that. They ignore the battle. Um, they, 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 they stop fighting. They either turn either to divorce or they turn to, uh, I'm going to have my way, you have your way. We do things separately, even in our home. Or They do a number of things, but God wants us to, to learn to master um, how we live for the Lord in our homes. That's important because, you know, you can put on a good face publicly and act like you're doing well, or people might think that you're doing well, but it's in the home that's most important. And why is that most important? Because God has placed lives in your care that need that example from you, not just you telling them what to do, but living and showing them. Oftentimes, as I preach in this kind of way, people become com, com, uh, convicted and they, they, they look on their past and, and, and they regret the things they've done and say, Pastor, now I'm discouraged because I haven't lived up to the way that God wants me to live. And, and fine, I, I think that's a starting point, but don't, don't stay there. This is not to discourage you. God gives you what you need to be what, you, what he wants you to be, and that is to serve him faithfully, look in his word, and begin to practice what he says. Don't check out and say, I can't do it. Yeah, pastor, that's easy for you to say, easy for you to do, because look at your wife. You've got a great wife. Look at, look at your home. Look at your situation. You started out right. You don't have the problems. You don't have the issues that I have, and that's simply not true. Not my wife is great. I understand that. <laughs> but the same issues you face, I face. And the same challenges you have, I have. And God wants you to know that he puts people in your life to be an example, to be a model, that you can be an example and a model to others too if you faithfully serve the Lord. 
So that's the first conflict, the first threat comes from within. It's Adam versus Eve instead of what God intended of them working together to accomplish his purpose. The second one, attacked by Satan, we see in Genesis. It's in the very next, next chapter, Genesis chapter 4. And it's what I call bro-on-bro bro crime. Bro-on-bro bro crime. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. Let's start reading there. It says, again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what you have what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Bro on bro crime is Satan's attack within the family. In this day of unrest, social unrest, racial unrest, and all the stuff that we've gone on, I'm reminded that guess what? The police officer riding in my neighborhood is not my biggest threat. I've been black all my life. And I want to tell you something. My biggest threat, as long as I've lived, has not been a police officer. It's been somebody just like me. You might not want to hear that. You don't like that. That's just a fact. Cain was Abel's biggest problem and threat, his own brother. Satan is able to get into these relationships and to skew and to use and to, to cause so much havoc that we focus on the wrong things. But that's what Satan does. Abel hadn't done anything wrong. God dealt with Cain. Why is your face falling? Why are you so upset? Nobody done nothing to you? He didn't like that God regarded his brother's offering while he didn't regard his own. This is what I call bro on bro crime. Another example of it is in Exodus chapter 2. I want you to turn there. Moses is the person here, is the subject. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. 
he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Let me pause. Moses said, I'm getting tired of this racial mess and us being put down and abused and treated badly. And I'm finna do something about it. And he went out, he found an Egyptian abusing one of his brothers. He looked, the Bible said he looked this way, he looked that way, he thought nobody was watching, and he jumped him. It says he hit him in the sand. I mean, he killed him. He didn't just fight him. He killed him. God was working in Moses' heart to awaken him to, to the reality of his people's issue, but Moses responded in the wrong way. And because of that, his people were affected because he couldn't step up and lead the way God wanted him to. He had to learn a few things. Let's see what happened. Let's continue on. Exodus chapter 2, right? Um, verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, if you study the life of Moses, you realize there's, there's like a 40-year period. He was, he was away. He ran away. He, he stayed away 40 years before God finally talked to him through that burning bush incident and said, Moses, I got a job for you. He took Moses back to the same place where he was and said, now tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But now he has kind of worked in Moses a, a little patience, a little wisdom, a little. But the, the mission didn't change. His people were still being abused. In fact, they had been abused now for 40 more years. Because Moses hadn't learned God's way of doing it. He tried his own way, which turns out to be Satan's way. See, there was two abuses going on. The Egyptian who killed, or who, 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 who attacked the, the, the Hebrew, but then the Hebrew attacked the Hebrew. Bro and bro crime. And what they said is, Moses, you ain't our solution. Don't tell us what to do. Moses was burdened. He was crushed with what was going on in his own community. He wanted to do something, but his actions took him out of the equation for a while until God dealt with him. Satan would have us. <laughs> One of the biggest faces, threats that we face in our own community is this and Satan's way of us lashing out wrongly to try and accomplish God's purpose. And it cancels us out oftentimes as effective leaders of change in our community when we don't do what God wants done in God's way. So those are threats from within 
that challenge our effectiveness and challenge our leadership as men and as fathers. The next three are from outside. And it's in Genesis chapter 6. We read this morning Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. And uh, I would carry that out to all the way through verse 17. And this is the threat of what I call a general wickedness. is a threat to us being the fathers and the men that we need to be. It's general wickedness. We saw in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the, law, the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a pretty bad situation, isn't it? Again, in verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And so we see the condition that Noah lived in. I would say, from, from looking at God's word, it was more corrupt than we could imagine and even more corrupt than today, which is hard for me to imagine. I see lawlessness every day, and you probably do too. And yet Noah lived in a time that was more corrupt than even now to where God says, I'm fed up with it. He says, it's so pervasive in all the community that I'm going to break it down. I'm going to tear it down. He says, I'm going to destroy all flesh. How wicked must it have been? God steps in. If you live or if you think you live in a wicked environment, and you do, just imagine Noah. Now look at God's solution. It's so widespread that he has to de destroy an entire society. I like riding around, and, and I get to do that and the different things that I do. And I, I like looking at landscaping, looking how people care for their lawns and the flowers and the bushes they set out. And, and I, I ran across a, a house yesterday that had just completely uh, dug up all of their top, gra all their top uh, grass, and it was just topsoil. And you could see that they were about to either resod or replant. And I know I've thought about that for my own house. It's like you get so tired of fighting the weeds that you, you figure you got more weeds than grass. And so it's like time to just start all over. <laughs> and so this particular homeowner had, had just done that. They had just stripped everything out and uh, put topsoil down, and, and they were ready for either seed or, or sod. And I kind of think of uh, Noah's Day that way. God was saying, you know, ain't no weed killer going to do it here. <laughs> we got to tear all of this out. It's no good. It's that bad. It's, it's so bad that we've got to tear it all out. But in that sense, in that environment, it says here in, in chapter 6, verse 8, 
If you look at verse 7, the last few words, I am sorry that I have made them, is what God says. I'm sorry that I've made them. I regret that they've gotten this bad. But then in the very next verse, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God's solution was that there was one man and one family that he would use to change the entire world. One man and one family. One man that was faithful in his home, in his family, that God would use to impact the entire world. One man. One family. I praise God that I look out on you <laughs> I'm not by myself. <laughs> We're not to the place in Milwaukee where there's only one man and one family that God would use. There are many men and many families right here in this church, in this church alone. And God is still doing it the same way. He's going to take a man, he's going to take a family, and he's going to impact the entire world. And I want you to know that that man and that family are representative of God's program and his plan. That man is representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only he can save the soul and change the heart from its wicked bent and intent to do wrong. And Noah then is an example, uh, he's, he's, he's a type, he's, he points to the Lord Jesus Christ who brings salvation to all of God's creation. And Noah's family is a type and example of God's people or the church. Because God uses them now to impact and to mold and to lead and to usher in and to populate the new earth that he has. God is saying, I want men who are willing and ready to stand up and be like Noah and their community, who will lead their homes so that we can have a home, we can have a church, and we can have godly people who will impact the rest of this community. Now the good news is that God says, I'm never ever again going to destroy the earth by water. He's saying, I haven't made an assessment that it all has to go. And so although there are a lot of weeds there, I still have my little Noahs and their families all throughout. And I want to use them for my glory. And so we have general wickedness. The next thread I see in Genesis is in Genesis chapter 11. The story of the Tower of Babel, or Babel. It is a story of the wrong purpose of unity and brotherhood. The wrong purpose of unity and brotherhood. And it is indeed a threat to us as men, as fathers, and leaders. Because it takes us away from the purpose that God has placed on us. Just look at what happened. Verse 11. 
I mean, so chapter 11 of Genesis, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let's make bricks, burn thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, which is tops in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us be dispersed over the face of the whole, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what are they doing? They're working together. He said, what could be wrong with that? Isn't that good? Is it a problem? They have one language and they're communicating. They, they are able to communicate, to meet, to, and they, they set a task to do and they accomplish it. Great, right? Or so we think until we see God's comment on it. Verse 5, and the Lord came down. <laughs> Lord came down to see the city and the town which the children of man had built. The Lord said, behold, they are one people. They have one language. And this is the only the beginning of what they would do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. What is God saying here? He said, isn't this something? They choose to work together on something that is against my purpose and my glory. They are now trying to establish and build, we're doing that today, build a society of ourselves. God is nowhere in that picture. He isn't honored. His purpose isn't, isn't seen to as to why we should do what we do and what we want to accomplish in that. God is, is, is not in any of that equation. It's what we think is right, what we feel like doing. People today are talking about building a new society. God is nowhere in that picture. In their mind, they think they're smart enough to know what's good and what's right and what's, what's moral and what's not. And they're going to build it all fresh themselves. So God sees this unity that they have, and he says, <laughs> can, I, can I paraphrase I don't want to misspeak for God. These fools will do anything. <laughs> They'll try anything. It's no stopping them. They think they're smart enough. They think they can come together and they can put their tools together and accomplish it all. If only they would do my purpose that way. If only they would seek my will that way. So what we see is people work hard, have great creativity, and work together in unity. But something is missing from that equation. God, him first, honoring him, putting him first. No, God, we got a better idea how we can rebuild all of this society. Why does God step in and change it? Do you think God felt threatened? Come on now. God created. In Genesis 6, he destroyed. He's not threatened in the sense of they're going to rival his power and his authority. The problem is they're doing what Satan does. They want to counter God's authority and assume it on themselves. You think God is threatened by Satan? We, we looked at the, the, the study of Job. He simply calls Satan into account. Man, what you doing? What you up to? And Satan is like, well, I want to do this, but you won't let me. 
And God said, well, I'll let you do a little bit of that. I'm just going to show you that you ain't nothing. And you can't change the heart of my servant. And he does it. So God is not threatened by evil as if it's going to threaten his existence in any kind of way. God's fed up with it. And given the create, think about it. We invent things, and you say, you know, it's the invention of the Internet, the computer, all the things we have. Are they evil? No, not in themselves. What's wrong with how people use it? How do you use Facebook? How do you use Twitter? How do you use your accounts? Is it for God's glory, or is it your consumption and expression of your thoughts? God is fed up with that. He says, I... I got to go down and <laughs> I got to go down and mess this up a little bit. And that's what he does. What is this threat? It's the threat of false unity. The wrong purpose of unity and brotherhood. It reminds me today I see the slogans all around Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. I see people coming together and joining together under this slogan. I say, is this ridiculous? What do you mean black lives matter? And I know what they're getting to. I know the injustices that they tempt to speak to. But they develop a false unity that has purposes that are beyond what God would have us to accomplish and what God would have us to tie into. Be careful about those alliances that say something true or something that sounds, of course, black lives matter. But so do all the other colors as well, and God created them. And what are we trying to do, and what is, what is the goal, and where are we going to, and does it truly align with God's purpose? If you really want to see injustice and what it does, and you really want to fight against it, you will realize there is one, one solution. It's not a cosmetic one to dress everything up and make it look good. It's one of the heart that God does. And you know what? God, <laughs> people won't like this. God is not dressing up this world to make it better. He's tearing it down and taking us to heaven. Those who trust in him. Now, does that mean you shouldn't work for things better? No, no, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying open your eyes and realize what God's true purpose is and use his tools to accomplish his purpose instead of spending time in things that seem good, nice, and right. False unities. Be careful about them. Be aware of them. Challenge them in your own thinking. Don't just be offended by what I said today. Challenge them in your own thinking. The fifth one, the last one I want to talk about in Genesis is Satan's attack against masculine-feminine distinctions. In Genesis chapter 19, you see the conclusion of that, but I want to kind of walk you through the process. It is attack on fatherhood. It is an attack 
on what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Did you notice in Genesis, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it says over and over and over again, male and female, he created them. Male and female. This is his design, his per. I didn't make it up. I'm not that smart. God designed it and purposed it that way. Male and female, he creates. And so what does Satan wants to do? He wants to go against God's design, and he wants to blur the distinction between male and female. We have people telling our youth today, you can be anything you want to be. I remember when I heard that as a young person, I thought that was encouraging. And I imagine people do today, except they fail to realize what's at the heart of that. Instead of saying you can be anything you want to be, what we ought to be doing is encouraging you should be all that God wants you to be. Not anything you want to be. You are not God. You submit to your creator. The clay doesn't tell a potter, hey, I don't want to be black. The potter says, this is what I'm making you, and this you shall be. <laughs> and you're going to be happiest going along with what I said. Because as much as you cry, you can't change what I've made. And that's what we're doing with these masculine and feminine distinctions. Let's go into it. Because some people think they have support for doing what they do from God's word, but we need to see that's not the case. Genesis chapter 13, it starts with the story of Abram, whose name changed later to Abraham. Abram and um, his nephew Lot. You know the story, Abram and Lot living together. They have left the land of Abram's um, home and God had called them to a new land and he's taking them through this journey. In, in Genesis chapter 13, uh, verses 8 through 13, you can just browse through there. Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your husband and my husband, for we are kinsmen. And so they, 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 they separate. But I want you to notice as they separated a couple things. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley, saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So he even puts a hint in there right now that Lot looked and he, he chose this land that looked good to him. And he wanted a land of plenty and he chose it. But that was before this Sodom and Gomorrah came into destruction. Verse 13, now the men of Sodom were, well, let me go verse 12. Adam settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So it's like Lot is migrating closer and closer and closer. And just so we be clear where he was going, look at verse 14, 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. No question there. God's assessment of what was going on there in Sodom. And we're going to get more specific about that as we go. But he lets them know that I'm building you this story in this picture so you can see what was going on between Abraham, Abram and Lot 
and you can see where Lot was coming to. He was going to, to Sodom and he was attracted there for some strange reason and these people are sick in sin. Vulgarly wicked. That's God's assessment on them. People say you're judging. Yeah, I'm judging with God's judgment. Because God judges. It'd be wrong for me to put my own judgment on something, but this is God's judgment. Keep on. So Lot is migrating to the land of wickedness. He gets caught up in it. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 through 16, there's a, there's a war goes on, and Lot is caught up in it, and the kings uh, uh, have victory over the land where Lot is living, and they take him captive. So Abram goes in, and he fights and rescues his nephew Lot. And when the people of that land, they want to thank Abram for what he's done, but Abram refuses to receive any gift from them. Now, that's important because it tells you Abraham was clear and he knew what kind of people these were and he didn't want to be identified with them. He didn't want to receive something from them. He makes it, so I want to look at that verse there. It's in uh, chapter 14, verse 22 and 23. <clears throat> I'll start verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, that you should say I've made Abram rich. He, in essence, disassociates himself from them, and he has good reason to do so. In chapter 18 now, we'll see the wickedness of Sodom. In chapter 18, verse 20 and 21, God sends um, a group <laughs> to check out what's going on. And we see that they, they, they come to Abram in chapter 18, in verse 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. He's talking to Abram. He says, look, man, I got to let you know what my plan is. I'm going to check this place out firsthand. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? God knows what's going on. But what he's sending is, is kind of a, a representative group. He himself is going, and he's sending two other angels. And he's going to say, now, give me story back so nobody can say I acted <laughs> in haste here. Tell me what's going on. And so we see them as they meet, and we see what goes on. Verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. There Lot is now in a prominent position in Sodom. Verse 4 and 5. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. They attacked the house where the angels were and they were with 
Lot in his household, and they wanted to rape them. Verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. It's clear what their wickedness was. And it's the beginning of this attack that Satan has. We see that attack today that wants to blur the distinction between male and female. Men desiring men sexually in this account that God would not have them do. And today we see not only that, but we see all kinds of nonsense in our culture today that wants to blur the line between male and female. And it is indeed an attack because it wants to re-identify what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And today we have all kinds of people who are respected in, in various ways, who are coming out and making uh, uh, statements and, and, and positions on this. I don't care who they are and what they say. I care about what God says. And I stand for what God says and against any and everything else. And if we're going to be men of God, we need to know Satan's attack and we need to be aware of what he's trying to do. You notice we, we looked at these various attacks and he's, he's attacking us as fathers and as men because that is central. It's like the glue that God has used to hold his society together. When God created, made his creation, he, he made the plant life, he made the, the, the world and all that's in it and the plant life and the animal life and last he made man and he said an order for man and the first thing Satan attacked was Adam and Eve in their relationship in the order that God had placed and he's been on attack ever since Man, we need to be aware of that we need to know what he is doing so that we can work in God's plan and his program we need not be frustrated by it because if we learn from the story of Job, nothing can thwart the purpose that God has. You know what God did? To, to his solution to Satan's all-out attack on his creation was as the Father, God the Father, sends his Son as the Savior of his creation. It's Jesus who redeems us from this wicked, sinful world that we live in and calls us out of it. He calls us to be different. He calls us to be one. He calls us to be men like Noah who are distinct in a wicked world and stand for God. You got to know what God's purpose is. You got to see what it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't be drawn off to all these other battles that we could partake in, but are basically just spinning our wheels when the real solution is Christ and Christ 
on me. Now, some say that's just not fast enough for me. That's not happening good enough for me. Well, then you don't appreciate God's purpose and what God is doing. And you're trying to do something that God is not trying to do. God's purpose is that we speak the gospel and live the gospel in, in, in view of those who would see us. And one by one and person by person, he's going to use that gospel to change lives. That's his way. You can think you have a better way, but it's not God's way. And you need to wholeheartedly embrace God's way. It's effective. It's eternal. It is his purpose. Men, embrace God's way. Submit your life to God. Surrender your heart to God. Commit yourself to battle what God would have you to battle, to be all that he desires for you to be in your home, in your church, in your community at large. That begins with a very purposeful trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends and remains with a purposeful trust and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would challenge our hearts as we commit to you to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ right now, to say yes to you, and the yes to your power through your Son to change our lives, to impact the lives of all you call to yourself. We surrender to that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our choir to come. They sing a song that you might reflect on God's purpose and what God is doing, that you might submit to that. And after that song, I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. in your design. We pray, Lord, that we would submit to it. You give us the strength to fight against the challenges and the attacks that come from Satan. And Lord, we want to help each other, to encourage each other, to challenge and push each other to be what you want us to be, what you purpose for us to be. And in that, we'll see a change in our hearts, and we'll begin to see a change in each other, and that change will impact others as well. Use us right now, Lord. We submit ourselves to you. Be used for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the men, for the fathers here today. Thank you for those who've been faithful in serving you, and thank you for those who desire right now to be faithful in serving you. May you encourage their hearts to serve you and to continue in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.